Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for today. Lord, thank you that we can come here and we can um, sing and praise and worship you. Lord, thank you that we can open your word together. Father, help us to open our hearts and our minds to what you have um, to say to us today. Lord, help me to be clear um, in what I'm saying. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> My grandfather had a bad heart. He had a bad heart for a long time. He used to drink lots. He was more or less an alcoholic. He used to smoke lots as well. And as a result, he had emphysema. He never did any exercise or physical activity once he retired from work. He just sat in front of the television most of the day. And he often had heart turns, as they used to say. And I remember visiting him in hospital lots of times when we were kids. We had a large extended family and Christmas time was always great fun with dozens of aunties and uncles and cousins getting together and playing backyard cricket and sitting around eating and drinking and telling stories. But I remember one particular Christmas when I was a young teenager that wasn't much fun at all. Pop had been unwell on and off for quite a while and then all of a sudden late on Christmas Day he had a heart attack. As you can imagine this caused great concern and panic for my nana and all of the aunties and uncles. Not that it hadn't happened before but uh, it was pretty jolly scary all the same. Fortunately, one of my aunties had been a nurse and she could administer first aid while help was sent for. And the ambulance came and took Pop off to hospital and we were all left sitting around in a very sombre mood, talking in very subdued tones, just wondering just what would happen to our poor old Pop. It was a very unsettling time for a young lad who had seen plenty of sickness and death on the dairy farm but when it came to involve a real person that I cared about, I can tell you I was suffering a great deal of anxiety and uncertainty. Well, my pop survived that episode, but he continued to have heart problems for the rest of his life. Now, these days, knowing my pop's medical history and his lifestyle, this episode really shouldn't have been surprising. And the statistics tell us that not much has changed in the last 30 years or so. Did you know that heart disease kills more Australians than any other disease group. In fact, 50,294 deaths in 2002, or 38% of all deaths. That's more than one in three Australians. So just have a look at the two people sitting either side of you. All right, have a good look. You need to realise that one out of the three of you is likely to die from heart disease. <coughs> Think about it. It's sobering stuff, isn't it? And that's not all. Around 3.67 million Australians are affected by heart disease. 1.1 million Australians are disabled by long-term heart disease. The prevalence of heart disease has increased by 18.2% over the last decade. The total burden of heart disease is expected to increase over the coming decades due to the growing number of elderly Australians among whom these diseases are most prevalent. Heart disease is Australia's biggest health problem. Despite improvements over the last few decades, the health and economic burden of cardiovascular <coughs> disease exceeds that of any other disease. So what does all that tell us? Australians have bad hearts. But we're not the only nation of people known for having bad hearts. We're at point one on your outline. Over the last six weeks, we've heard about the nation of Israel and the hard hearts that the Israelite people had. In fact, the whole history of God's people is characterised by episodes of hardening of hearts towards God and toward each other. 
We've heard God tell us through this, through his prophet Ezekiel. And Ezekiel continually tells us about the detestable things that Israel has been doing as they turned their hearts against God. They've ignored him for the sake of worshipping other gods. They have ceased following all of the laws and commands that God had given them to set them apart from others, the specific things that made them God's people. In Ezekiel chapter 5, verse 5, we read, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. This is Jerusalem, which I have set in the centre of nations with countries all around her. Yet in her wickedness she has rebelled against all my laws and decrees more than the nations and countries around her. She has rejected my laws and has not followed my decrees. Israel has a crook heart. The nation is sick. It is worshipping false gods. It is doing detestable things. It is ignoring the God who has given them everything he promised in the land of their own. Now, <clears throat> coronary heart disease is caused by the slow build-up over many years of fatty, cholesterol-containing deposits in the inner wall of one or more of the heart's arteries. Just think about it. All this gooey gunge stuck to the insides of your arteries. Sounds pretty rank and disgusting, doesn't it? Detestable, even. Well, if the coronary arteries become too clogged, the flow of blood is reduced, and the heart may not be able to meet the demands placed on it to pump harder when doing exercise or under stress. This is known as coronary heart disease and can lead to a heart attack, just like my pop. People whose lifestyles have resulted in these conditions cannot continue without serious consequences. And God couldn't let Israel's behaviour continue either without serious consequences. God is a just God and couldn't allow this hard-hearted disobedience to go on forever. Therefore, as we heard a few weeks ago, God announced his judgement. If Israel responds to God's message, they'll be saved. If Israel continues to ignore God's offer of salvation, they will perish. And as we know, Israel, Israel's hearts remained hardened towards God and they were carried off into exile, away from God. Even those that remained in Jerusalem continued to harden their hearts against God and to ignore him. They even set up temples, <coughs> idols in the temple, the one place that God had chosen to dwell amongst his people. They were worshipping idols and carrying out detestable practices. They continued to ignore God's warnings and therefore God abandoned the people and both they and their precious city were destroyed. This was the lowest point in the history of God's people since the fall and the flood way back in Genesis. The people were sick. Their hearts were rotten. They were cut off from their God and there was no way that they could heal themselves. Now that might sound a bit dramatic, but that's a summary of the nation of Israel at the time. They had been taken away by foreign armies and became scattered over a wide area, living among different nations. This was totally against what God had planned for them, and they knew it. Since God's pledge to Abraham, the people had lived in the hope that God would look after them and give them all he had promised. And he did. God had looked after them and brought them to the promised land. But they had blown it. They had done everything wrong and now were paying the price. They would have been feeling totally abandoned by God. Psalm 137 gives us a picture of how miserable they were. Listen to the first four verses. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord 
while in a foreign land. They had lost their land, their holy city, all the good things that God had given them, and they had become separated from their God. They had lost their identity, the sense of who they were. These were God's chosen people, now a broken nation scattered throughout the land. <clears throat> what a totally miserable lot they would have been. I imagine that they were a lot like my pop. He was always miserable because I think he knew that his heart problems were a result of the things that he'd done in the past. But there was no way that he could help himself. The problem had gone on for too long. Israel knew that they had done the wrong thing by ignoring God and now they were paying the price and there was nothing they could do to help themselves either. They were helpless and hopeless. There was nothing they could do to save themselves. But there's good news. There's great news. There's news of salvation. Point two on your outline. Way back in Ezekiel chapter 11, God said that he would punish the people by driving them out of the city and hand them over to foreigners and inflict punishment on them. But in verses 18 to 20 in chapter 11, he also said that he would save a remnant and bring them back to the land of Israel and give them a new heart and a new spirit. And God restates that very same promise in the passage we're looking at today in chapter 36, verses 24 to 27 that Colin just read for us. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to follow my laws. Well, what a change from all the doom and gloom and despair and judgment and condemnation we've been hearing from the, in the first 33 books of Ezekiel. God, as he always does, remains true to his promise and intends to bring his people back to the promised land. God emphasises his intention in these few verses by repeating, I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries. I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will cleanse you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will put my spirit in you. God is intent on fulfilling the word he has spoken to Ezekiel. But why would God do this? <clears throat> why would he rescue the people yet again after all they had done in disobedience to him? Why would he continue to persevere with this most unworthy people? It's because he's a trustworthy and faithful God. He made his promise to Abraham to create a great nation from his descendants and to give them a land of their own. He is fulfilling his promise. But there's more to it than that. God has a bigger plan as well. He not only wants Israel to submit to him and live according to his word, but he wants all of the other nations to acknowledge him as well. He wants them to see the wonderful things he does for his people and to understand how great he is. God is going to renew his holy nation so that all the other nations will see his glory because he is the sovereign Lord. Verses 22 to 23 in chapter 36. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. 
then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. God's glory will be seen by all of the nations through the work he does in his people in Israel. As God constantly says to Ezekiel in reference to Israel and the other nations, then they will know that I am the Lord. But will all of that history and the examples of God's faithfulness change anything in the nation of Israel? Will the people give up worshipping idols and be careful to follow God's decrees and laws? Will the people put their trust in God? If their past record is any indication, the chances are probably fairly thin. So, what is needed is a radical change in the people. And God says that he intends to make that radical change by giving the people a new heart. I guess it would be pretty hard to get much more radical than a new heart. Now these days, heart transplants are just one way of treating people with serious heart problems, especially severe heart failure. When the heart can no longer work properly and a person is at risk of dying, a heart transplant may be the only way of treating them successfully. And a heart transplant usually involves the complete removal of the diseased heart and replacement with one from a suitable donor. Major surgery indeed. And this is what God is planning to do for his people. Give them a new heart so that they can start a new life in obedience to him. But God makes it clear that he's not doing this for Israel's sake. It is for the sake of his holy name so that all the nations will know that he is Lord. (coughs) But a new heart is not all that God is going to give to his people. God also says that he will put a new spirit in them as well. We're up to point three on your outline. Most of us are familiar with the story of them old dry bones, or at least a few lines from the song anyway. Well, let me read you a bit of the story from chapter 37 that we heard earlier on. God has taken Ezekiel to a valley full of dry bones, and he says in verse 3, He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, You alone know. Now Ezekiel's response to God shows their intimate relationship. It shows that Ezekiel understands that only God could do such an amazing thing as to bring these old dry bones back to life. Verse 4. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Again, we see Ezekiel's obedience to the power and sovereignty of God as he does what God has commanded him to do. Verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Imagine that. All of a sudden, a valley full of dry bones becomes a valley full of people, but not quite. They had bones and tendons and flesh, but there was still no breath in them. They were people, but they weren't yet alive. Now, I've discovered that in the Hebrew language, breath, spirit and wind are actually the same word. Breath, spirit and wind are the same thing, which helps us to make sense of Ezekiel's prophecy. Because at this point, the bones had been renewed into bodies, but the people had not 
come completely back to life because they had not received the new spirit. So we read on in verse 9. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. The wind was breathing new life and a new spirit into the dry bones. The people of Israel. As we were discussing earlier on, the people of Israel were separated from their land, from their holy city, and from their God. They were hopeless. They had basically shriveled up and died. But God says in verse 14, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it, declares the Lord. Now, I don't know whether this story is an example of biblical imagery and illustration or whether it's a real account of an actual event. But we get the picture of what God intends to do and the message he gives to Ezekiel. We see God's sovereignty and power and saving grace at work once more. He shows Ezekiel how he will give the people new life, <coughs> new breath, a new spirit. Imagine what amazingly good news this would have been for Israel. After all they had been through, judged, condemned and exiled, their faithful God was going to save them once again. But not only that, he was going to totally renew them. He was going to give them a new heart and a new spirit. He was going to give them a new life. And as God told Ezekiel, he would do all this for the sake of his holy name, for his glory, so that the nations will know that he is the Lord, so that they would see how great he was. So God is going to save his people and bring them back to him by giving them a new heart and a new spirit, a new life. Not only were they going to have the heart transplant, to get a new heart, a heart of flesh, but a new spirit as well. And when we get to the New Testament, <clears throat> we find that this heart transplant is the only way that we can come back to God. God offers us new life if we come back to him through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's look at the example of Nicodemus in the New Testament book of John. Go to point four on your outline. Now, we know that Nicodemus was a Pharisee and one of Israel's teachers. So he would have known the teachings of the Jewish law really well. But when Jesus began his ministry with miraculous signs and radical teaching, poor old Nicodemus didn't quite understand. Let me read to you from John chapter 3, verses 3 to 5, where Nicodemus is talking with Jesus. Nicodemus has just acknowledged that Jesus himself has come from God. In verse 3, in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Jesus is trying to explain to Nicodemus some important truths that he was struggling to come to grips with. Born again? Born of water and spirit? Perhaps it was a bit hard to understand. But why should Nicodemus be so surprised? Remember that way back in Ezekiel chapter 36 that we're looking at today, God told the Israelites in exile that he was going to give them a new life. 
He was going to sprinkle clean water on them and make them clean. He was going to give them a new heart and put a new spirit in them. And we know that God's people did return to Israel and they rebuilt the holy city and repopulated the promised land. God fulfilled his promise of salvation for his people. But what we now read in the New Testament is the promise of salvation for you and I as we live on this side of the cross. What we see is God's plan of salvation for us to come back to him through his son Jesus. Because we read in verse 16 of John chapter 3, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. Those who believe in Jesus will not perish, but will have eternal life, will be born again into a new life by having their sins washed away by Jesus' blood. Their hearts will be made clean and the Holy Spirit will dwell in them. Now that sounds like a radical concept even in today's technologically advanced society. Did you know that since 1968 at St Vincent's Hospital in Sydney, over 1,000 patients have received a new heart, a new set of lungs, or both, and in the process gained a new life? True. They really do some amazing stuff down there at St Vincent's and are internationally recognised as a leader in heart-lung transplants. The hospital has the highest post-transplant survival rate in the world, in fact. Did you also know that St Vincent's carried out Australia's first bilateral double lung (coughs) transplant, the first heart-lung transplant and the first full implantation of a mechanical heart? Pretty impressive, eh? But that's not all. They also carried out other specialised procedures, including diagnostic testing, coronary artery intervention, cardiac surgery and cardiac rehabilitation, to name a few. It's all very impressive indeed. Now let me tell you, if you're sitting here today and you haven't asked God to forgive you for your sins and your continued rejection of him, and that if you haven't accepted Jesus as your saviour, then your heart is in bad shape and needs radical treatment. But let me also tell you that St Vincent's Hospital won't be able to help you. St Vincent's Hospital, with all of the marvellous technology at its fingertips, may be able to extend your life on earth for a short while, but the highly trained and skilled medical staff can't save you from God's judgement. The only way that your relationship with God can be restored is through his son, Jesus Christ. That's what God wants you to do. He wants it so much that he was willing to allow his son to die on the cross so that you could be saved. I remember bringing my pop-up to Sydney, to one of the Sydney hospitals at one time, to have some tests and things done to his heart. Pop never had a heart transplant. He just struggled on with constant illness and ongoing treatment. But even if he could have had a heart transplant, it wouldn't have helped him get back right with God. What he really needed was to have his heart renewed by Jesus. So ask yourself, Whether you are like the dry bones, all shriveled up and dead, separated from God, and whether you need to accept the gift of salvation, a new life through Jesus, where you can be washed clean and have God living inside you in the form of the Holy Spirit. Okay, point five on the outline. But what about those of us who who have accepted Jesus as Lord and Saviour and have been born again into a new life with him? Well... We now have a perfect heart, a gift from God, and it's nothing we could have earned. It's been given to us freely by God's grace. 
As a result of that heart transplant that he has given us, we now have a new and complete relationship with God. We have been made new so that we can glorify him. And we have a new spirit which it gives us new life. We are free to live it out in a way that God would want us to. Just imagine if you were one of the thousand or so patients that's received a new heart from St Vincent's Hospital. You've been given a new chance at life. Do you reckon that you'd be sitting around watching television all day, eating fatty foods covered in lashings of salt, drinking heaps of coke, maybe mixed with a bottle or two of alcohol, chain-smoking cigarettes or perhaps smoking something other, something else, generally doing all of the things that got you into trouble in the first place? Of course not. You'd be mad. You'd be so happy that you'd been given a new chance at life that there would be no way that you would go back to your old lifestyle. I reckon you'd be out and about doing exercises or tai chi or walking or cycling or gardening or fishing or ballroom dancing or maybe even a bit of old boys rugby with the purple shorts on so that no one's allowed to tackle you. <laughs> I reckon that you'd be so joyful that you've been given a second chance at life that you wouldn't even want to think about going back to your old lifestyle. It just wouldn't be an option that you consider. And it's the same with our Christian life. If we've accepted Jesus into our lives, we've been made new. We can now live according to the new heart and new spirit that God's put inside us. God has washed all of the old life away from us. We can reject the old life. We're free to obey God and to live life as he wants us to, because he's given us a new spirit to help us. The good news is that we don't have to do it all alone. We have God's Holy Spirit living inside us to guide us. Let's go back to Ezekiel chapter 36 and have a look at what God says. Verses 27 and 28. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers and you will be my people and I will be your God. God's new spirit would work within the Israelite people to guide them in the way that they should live. And that's how it is with us, once we've accepted Jesus as saviour. God's Holy Spirit lives inside us and helps us to think and act differently in a way that is pleasing to God and brings glory to him by showing the difference he makes in our lives. Remember, we are new people. We are changed on the inside. We've been born again. Let's go on to verses 31 and 32. Then you will remember your evil ways and wicked deeds and you will loathe yourselves for your sins and detestable practices. I want you to know that I'm not doing this for your sake, declares the Sovereign Lord. Be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct, O house of Israel. We've all done things in the past that we're not proud of. But the good news is that if we've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus and born again, we can forget about the past. There should be no need and no desire to return to our old lifestyle. We, want to have, we, have, <coughs> sorry, we now have new desires and new passions. There is no way that we want to do the things we used to in our old lives. God gives us a new heart and a new spirit when we come back to him through Jesus. We are born again into a new life and an eternal relationship with him. Let's rejoice in that new life.